Well, how alarming, how charming it is to be a farming. We didn't let we didn't let the song go that far, but that's what he <laughs> says there. Indeed it is. Well, good morning. This is Glenn Andreessen here beside you now until twelve noon. Welcome to the Dirt Bag, a garden variety show. With me in the studio, as is almost always the case, is Jim Gilbert. Nice to be here, Glenn. It's interesting, just walking, I've not, my new way of getting here is to walk from the Clinton Street Max stop. And uh, it's fascinating, really, to walk through Portland. And my first, right, as I walk, as I leave that street, I, I guess it's Powell, that's where I cross, I walk underneath the, the loquat at the Buddhist temple. Oh, how about that? That loquat's been there for as long as I can remember. <laughs> it's pretty kind of fun to do that, you know. Does it have any fruit this year? Don't see anything. That's, the, yeah, that's not unusual. That's the problem it? with loquat. Aha. Uh -huh. Beautiful tree, though. Which blooms in November or something uh, like December, that? December. Yeah. December, yeah. yeah. Which well, is, could explain the <laughs> right. lack of... We could talk about loquat someday. Yeah. Well, we've got a full show, and we always make time for your calls. 503-231-8187. That's the number to call for a question or to answer our Garden Stumper, which will be at half past the hour. In between, we have a new plant of the month, green beans. Tis the season. I've been harvesting handfuls of those. I don't have enough, enough to make bushels of them. But <laughs> speaking of bushels, we'll also then have a little discussion on how and what to do with all your garden bounty produce. It's coming on strong now. Yep. Haven't had any well one tenth of a one hundredth of a uh, inch of rain here in the last I don't know how long it was forty three days that we didn't have any rain at all measurable rain so we're probably it's very dry and it could be yeah fifty week fifty days at least yeah yeah so it's dry and so uh, and with the hot weather coming we'll we'll talk about that too that sounds like it's going to be a, our longest stretch yeah of uh, Mid to upper 90s, possibly. Yeah, I have to say, Glenn, I, I don't really like it. I mean, I, <laughs> growing up in Portland, you know, I mean, if I grew up, I suppose, in Redding, California, I'd be be fine. But, you know, uh, like, uh, when it gets to around 85, I'm heading for the house. <laughs> well, I heard a comment on a, 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 a NPR, probably, that uh, somebody, the commentator, said, this could be the coolest summer you have for the rest of your life. <laughs> oh. Man, oh man, I don't like that. Yeah. Anyway, half uh, after the garden stumper, we will uh, talk with Jim about what's going on in the uh, garden because this is uh, on the farm because this is a, a major part of of what they do there, and that's evaluating fruit. You know, they don't want to be going into mass production of something that's only marginally good.
good. So it's, it's, it yeah. certainly re- removes any issues of boredom at Northwoods Nursery. Right. <laughs> we have a follow-up to our last month's uh, term, uh, Dirtbag Dictionary term, which was perennial, and we'll talk about biennial just uh, briefly there. And we will, uh, Jim's documentary is coming closer to fruition, or maybe it's done. Not done yet, but, but getting closer. Getting closer. Yeah. And uh, you may have told the story last month on the air, or you told me anyway, that you kind of just as a afterthought applied to the Oregon State Fair for a booth. Is that kind of Yeah, correct? I wouldn't describe it as an afterthought. Okay. It was a, a forethought. I mean, it was once something I wanted to do for a long time. Because I really think it's important to to tell Oregonians, so many of whom have more recently arrived here or even lived here a long time and don't know about why when you drive outside of a city, it's all of a sudden it's farmland and we don't have sprawl yeah. like our neighbors to the north and south. Um, so anyway, the booth is a... Yeah, I, I guess I, I misspoke there. It was, it was surprising when they when you got the reply from them yes. saying, okay, when yeah. do you want to set up right. or whatever. Oh, my God, <laughs> this is really going to happen? Yeah. Like, so oh, it is going to happen. It is going to happen. And he'll have, you'll have a booth there, uh, particularly on Oregon, well, the documentary, I presume. Is that the main focus of the booth? The main focus of the booth is really just to tell people about Oregon. Oh, I see. And the documentary will, will talk about it too, but which is also the main purpose of it. Yeah. And about history and you know, well, the um, the Oregon State beekeepers also have a booth there at the Oregon State Fair, and uh-huh. they ask for volunteers. And usually, at the at that point, which is towards the end of August, I'm just burnt out on festivals <laughs> and stuff. But and so I don't even volunteer. But this year, not the first year that I'm not having the uh, my Swedish pancake booth at the Scandinavian Festival. Uh-huh. Which is where I would be right now if I was still doing that. But I'm not, so I'm here, live with Jim. And are you going to be at the fair? Well, I may sign up for one. Well, you know, I think, I mean, that sounds like it would be in the same area where we're going to be, which is the agricultural area where the the uh, master gardeners are and stuff like that. You know, I wouldn't like be surprised. That. that would be fun. I haven't been to the state fair in decades. And, uh, nor have I. And by so, volunteering, I, know, I think we get free parking and admission. So, yep, yeah. Anyway, we'll talk about that. And let's see. Oh, what's annoying me this month? You know, I'm just going to have to say it's annoying me. This is from a personal standpoint. My wife and I ordered a custom-made piece of furniture. Not the first time ever. And we dealt with a company in northwest Portland. But... We can't, we have to have it delivered. We can't pick it up ourselves. And they're going to charge us $125 to do that. Hmm. Hmm. So I was a little miffed on that. Yeah. Especially since the factory where you'd pick it up from is probably two or three miles from our house. Hmm. Yeah. Just a little annoying, but frees me up some time. I don't have to deal with it. So I look at it that way. I'm trying. I'm good. It's a good, optimistic way, positive way to turn it around, Glenn. <laughs> That's right. You know. That's right. Okay. Green beans. The there's many varieties of green beans. I prefer the good old Willamette Valley standard of Blue Lake. It's what I grew up with. I picked them as a as a child. Well, not a child. It's a young 
an older boy, we'll say, probably 12 to 14 or something like that. I was a pretty good picker, too. Hmm. I remember picking some 300 pounds in a day. Wow. Sometimes, maybe 400, you know, if the picking oh. was really good. And you get paid by the pound. Yeah. So yeah. it was pretty good for uh, back in the day. But I've been growing Blue Lake because I like the flavor and I can save the seeds. They, I don't grow any other type of bean and they don't cross-pollinate. And so at the end of the season, I stop picking a little bit early. So I'll, I'll let some of the beans form seed pods. And then I save those, and I don't really do much. I just keep them in the garage, and every year they come back. That's great. And so they're kind of adapting to my climate, and I've probably been using these same seeds for 10 years. Wow. Or not the same seeds, but growing them out. Yeah. And But like I said, there's many other varieties. I always grow the pole variety of the Blue Lake, but I have grown other beans, and, and, and they're all good. Uh, probably, I mean, home, homegrown is just. You, you, I think it's a John Prine song. I think we haven't talked about this. We should use this as a stumper sometime. That there's two things that money can't buy: true love and homegrown tomatoes. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I think, well, well, it's the same with green beans. I would argue. My, my partner, who's the gardener, and her last name is Gardner, the family, uh, she had served me green beans the night before last for the first time this year. It was a, such a treat. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I agree. I agree. So when I, I just from a, just a personal standpoint here, I don't like undercooked beans. Mm-hmm. I don't like them crunchy. Mm-hmm. I think when they're uh, fully soft that there's more flavor. But that's my own personal little bit of salt on there. Well, when I was young, it seemed like most of the kind of things we ate came out of a can. Oh. And canned beans were not a, I was not a fan of. It wasn't. And, but, boy, once I started realizing how good they were to be cooked fresh, boy, yeah. it's a whole different thing. Yeah. Well, we might talk a little bit more about beans when we talk about preserving our produce. Sure. So... That's it. That's all I have on green beans. That's plenty. Grow, grow <laughs> beans. Man. Yeah. Well, oh, I do have one more thing to say, and that is to, even if you're not going to eat them, which seems a shame, but if some of them, if there's some of them are hiding from you and you don't see them and they get too big to eat, I would argue to go ahead and pick them off anyway early in the season, because if you leave too many of those, that it triggers the plant to stop new production and then make uh, puts its energy towards ripening those yeah, beans point. The, the seeds inside yeah. the bean pods sure yeah good point so, and i'm sure you remember the little tune we learned as kids about the musical fruit uh yes yes we don't need to go in further into that but, nope nope um, well, they do in addition to the pole bean there are bush beans there's blue lake bush beans too, I don't think their flavor is quite as good, but they ripen all of all at once essentially. So you can, uh, if you're going to preserve them, that might be something to uh, consider. So that's that. Cool. We'll go into our first musical selection now. I'll try to get them all in here while I'm thinking of it here. Ty, are you ready to go here? I don't have a a song called Green Beans, but I did find one called Red Beans. So we're gonna go with that. This is uh, Professor Longhair. 
That's Professor Longhair from, let's see, 1980 album, Crawfish Fiesta. That's a nice name. Red yeah. beans. Well, green beans are just one of the things that we're harvesting from our gardens now. And I've just been so busy with my honey harvest that I really haven't done a whole lot of uh, preserving of these things. But I'm down to my last maybe three days of, of, of extracting. I'll just mention once again, that I, just a month ago I was talking about uh, that I think it's that I thought it was going to be a pretty good honey year and <laughs> for me it's my best year ever and in, and, and in fact last uh, my increase from last year was a, is about it's over 2,000 pounds a ton a ton more honey than I did last year so it's, it's no wonder you know so I'm over what am I over now? Five thousand pounds of honey. It's a lot of honey. It is a lot of honey. I I store it in five gallon buckets and I number them so I, and then I use from the 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 last in first out, so to speak. So I know how many buckets I have left. Wow. So if I use number forty five, I'll know oh, I have forty four left. But anyway, which is usually where I end up in the forties there. Well, I'm at sixty five now and counting. <laughs> I've had to find other places to put this honey. If I put if I put it in one place in my house, I mean you can imagine the strain on that. <laughs> so anyway, we'll take a little break here and go to our caller, yeah. and then we'll come back as to and talk about what to do with all that that produce. Sure. Okay, who do we have here? Wade. Good morning. You're with the dirt bag. You there, Wade? Maybe, maybe not. We lost him. Darn. Well, give us the, give him the number. Maybe he'll call five. You. Yeah. Okay. Good idea. Five zero three two three one eight one eight seven. Yep. So I, I just I'm, I'm sitting here. I actually brought you a little a tiny cornucopia of some of the stuff that we're harvesting right now. Fruit on the fruit department, and of course you mentioned beans on the vegetable side, and there's all sorts of other vegetables that are ripening too. But. Uh, I think you know one of the spectacular fruits for one of, and one of my very favorite fruits in the whole world is the fig. And uh, is it uh, a toss-up between a fig and a apricot? Yeah, you know the problem with apricot yeah. is it's darn hard to grow them here, and figs do really well. So, yeah. so the, that's my focus, of course. And and I'm out. The the desert king is my favorite of those. I mean, it's it. I really like it. It. it uh, we'll talk about Desert King a little bit later in the Garden Stumper, but uh, this first the first crop which it produces abundant amounts of, they're they're some of the best. I mean, they're so they're really good. They're really world class figs. Would you say that of what the figs that we can grow here, whether whether they are, uh, you know, producing now or in the fall, would you say that Desert King is ranks right up there with with others? Yeah. 
Absolutely. Right here. Yeah. Okay. And, and there's more. There's some other reasons for that too, which I can talk about in a bit. But why don't we talk to Wade? Okay. Oh, Wade, hi. Wade's here. Good morning, yeah. Wade. Hey, good. I called back on my cell phone. Maybe it's better. Um, so over the years, you've talked a couple of subjects, and I, and I think there's a simpler solution. One was about how to water plants in pots, and I can't remember exactly you described something, but the simplest way I've heard it is, is um, water them until um, you see water coming out the bottom. There's whole drain holes. You, yeah. You know, all pot. So when you see water coming out the bottom, you know it's fully saturated. And then I just thought I'd share a couple of points about tree pruning. I've been doing it 40 years. Um, the, it, it's an old axiom, but you start from the bottom, work your way up, and start from the inside and work your way out. Because if you start on the outside, you may end up taking that entire branch off. You see, if you look at the structure of the tree. And basically, you're looking for anything that turns immediately up, like an elbow and heads for the sky or up. You know, that's a sucker. And it's it, you're going to get rid of this. What I do, one thing, is take out the smaller branches on the bottom and, and show off the larger ones later. And as I get to the top of the tree, I take out some of the bigger ones and, sh- and leave the littler ones, and that keeps them smaller. That's good points. Good tips, yeah. Yeah, and all you're right. doing mostly uh, fruit tree pruning here? Well, I do all kinds of things. No, I landscaping and tree service, so I do all kinds of them. But okay. um, I've always liked the Japanese or Orient. I call it Orient all gardening. Aha. Uh-huh. 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 Yeah, that's good. Good. Get oriented good. here, yes. Um, and so, and but specializing in like topiary and just the simply layering trees. Uh-huh. So dogwoods, I do all kinds of things, but um, yeah, and you know, just everything. That's good. Yeah. yeah. Th- yeah thanks, Wade. Uh, and I, I might add a little bit to your watering uh, advice. Uh, mm-hmm. one, because at our nursery, we have thousands and thousands of potted plants, and it's it's, uh. it's a, one of the most important things for us to do. And so, uh, what what the way I like to measure or to get to sense when a plant needs water is by well, I call it gravimetric. You kind of you pick up the pot if it's a small enough pot, you can pick it up and feel how it, what it feels oh, yeah. like. You know, of course. Uh, yeah. And then your watering tip, of course, is absolutely right. You want to you want to you know, get it fully watered, and then and, and do that in more less frequently, and not certainly not just water the surface because if you do that, guess where the roots it are dries go? up right away. Yeah. Uh-huh. The roots will head yeah. for the surface, um, and that's its reservoir for later on. Yeah, the water you know comes up for. But anyway, yeah. But I, I thought you you were talking. I thought basically a lot of pots, like decorative pots outside folks' homes and things, they're large, and you don't you yeah. can lift them. To. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, but you can stick your finger in. Basically, I do that. Sometimes. Yeah, that's not bad. The hydrometer, if you will, and put it down a couple inches, and that gives you an idea. All right. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing. You bet. Thanks, yeah, Wade. Thank, Appreciate thanks your the call. Call and listening. Okay. All right. So. Figs we were talking about. about yeah, and, and other yeah. things that you're uh, or that you're harvesting in abundance. <laughs> right, and Desert King, we you were asking about it's you know it, it's ranks we, right up there. In 2015, Lorraine and I went to a fig conference in Naples, Italy. It was it was really eye opening, and and actually King they call it, it used to be the name King. It's interesting. It, it somehow be, oh. the name Desert got added to it, but uh, but it was it was the, like the very, almost the very top. I mean, it was very very highly rated fig. And and if you try one, I mean, right now they're 
they're darn good and they oh yeah you know the so what we uh you know typically i just eat them as much as i you know I just eat them all the time you know breakfast uh, lunch and dinner and dessert and do you and, do you preserve them in any and then drying uh, yeah that's really the only way that i've or i've made jam i think out of them yeah uh, sometimes yeah they make great jam too and and drying but we don't i don't have time to make jam so so I try them, you know. That's my. That's the other way to do it. Um, and unfortunately, yeah, sometimes I don't even have time to dry them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's where I'm at this year too. One, I, one of the nice things about Desert King, because it because it bears its its primary crop on the new wood. Excuse me, on the old wood. The uh, it grew last year. That ripens this now late July, early August, and it seems that birds are busy somewhere else now. Maybe some listeners can say they've got problems with birds on their desert king but yeah i've seen a, f a few damage but a very few yeah. yeah same 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 for us i think they're over in my neighbor's blueberry patch or something you know uh -huh. but uh, anyway the fall fall crop i think birds get hungrier in the fall uh, and uh -huh. do, do more damage so it's so the that's another reason to desert king is an excellent variety for us yeah you don't deal with squirrels out there but w we do oh and for figs even Really? Particularly the second crop. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Yeah, so and um, so that would so figs are are, are great. And then uh, I brought a, so I brought you some black currants to try, which are kind of past now. I mean, they were already pretty much ripened. But I just I, Americans don't know a lot about currants, and um, and Europeans go nuts over them. And I think they're wonderful. The flavor, they're very, very flavorful. The, one of our problems in, years ago was that the currants that were being promoted were like for processing, and they were very tart. Oh. But um, the ones that, ones that we like and were, are now propagating uh, are sweet, sweet and flavor, very flavorful. And the, uh, this variety uh, is sort of smaller berries, but it's, uh, it's, the, the name is written L-E-N-T-A-J, which... We could pronounce lintai maybe, um, but it's a really, really good variety. And there's several like this that we're, we're propagating. Do you do you preserve them somehow? You know, we freeze them. Uh huh. So, like uh, again, it's that's fast. Yeah. So we, yeah. we, you know, I'm sure, and they make wonderful jam, wonderful jam. But we don't have time to do that right now, so right. we're freezing them. Uh, we also uh, bought over 200 pounds of blue. Well. Yeah, over 200 pounds of organic blueberries from our neighbor across the street, and and those are also frozen now in the free for winter use. And freezing is pretty good for way to you know keep things. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, one of the, one of the prunus, the, the peaches are ripening, uh, and we're uh, harvesting those. Uh, I just finished Morton nectarine as a variety of nectarine that we've just recently started growing, and they ripened a couple of weeks ago. Oh. Uh -huh. Excellent, excellent variety, uh, disease resistant, which is really important, and that's one of the 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 it, what we're doing a lot of evaluation of of these crops, and I could talk about that for a minute. The the uh, uh, the Morton nectarine is one that's proven to be really good. We also have a a, a variety. We the first variety was Crybitch, and then we have a, had a seedling from it, which was. Uh, also very very good, which we call Pacific Pride, and those are both disease. They're all all of these are disease resistant and do really well in our climate, which is uh, cl our climate. While right now it's hot and warm, and it's been that way for a long time, 
as we might remember, <laughs> it, it did rain in the spring. <laughs> yeah, a lot there towards the end of the yeah. winter. Yep. And so, you know, that that's what hurts the prunus, uh, the, the peaches. It's why we have a hard time growing apricots is because of the diseases that, that all that rainfall bring on. Seems like a pretty good year for the the nectarines and peaches as far as peach leaf curl, I mean, the lack of. Yep. Yeah, we haven't had it. We, we, our peaches all look great. I mean, one of the problems when we have a really good year, then we have trouble evaluating because that's what we're, oh. our, our, one of our main uh-huh. reasons for the evaluations is to find varieties that are resistant to peach leaf curl. And and we're doing that. And we, and we have some promising ones on the horizon and the ones that we've, uh, chosen over the years, like Oregon Curl Free, and well, uh, one called was used to be called Q18. Now it's called Salish Summer, uh, Charlotte. Uh, they're they're really good varieties that for, for that do well here. But yeah. we're constantly looking for the better one, you know, for another one too. Right. That's it's yeah. It's hard to imagine uh, you know other years than the current year, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> it, I know. It, it, that's it, it can be devastating for a tree. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a little scary when you think you know we don't know what climate change is going to bring us. Right. I mean, Oregon right now is kind of an oasis and um but we it wasn't too long a couple of years ago when we had 112 degrees at our place and even hotter some places and so yeah, you know, I hope that never happens again, but Well, let's see. So we so basically what are we talking about for preserving canning? Freezing, drying, maybe pickling or fermenting. Anything else there? Air drying, I guess that's the same as dehydrating there. Yeah. But the, I do a lot of dehydrating just because it's uh, it's not necessarily faster, but it's you don't need to add anything. There's no preservatives. Like if you're canning, I can some pears just because I have so many pears. And it usually takes a syrup solution you know it doesn't have to be real sweet but it has to have some sugar in there yeah. to, to yeah. help with the yeah. preserving but it's it's a time issue more than anything for us anyway at this point yeah and i've i've always thought i should grow more apples that ripen in october <sighs> because i don't need any more fruit right now you know that's fun. that's an interesting point and, and i um uh, that's another way of preserving your yeah. storage and you know a storage apple an apple that will keep for yeah. months you don't have to do anything else more to it just keep it cool and and uh eat it during the winter and uh we the variety we uh there's a variety that that we start we grew a number of years ago right now we we propagate a few of them called wine crisp oh that was that was that the one that you i, I did you, we had some last month yes do you still have any we i'm still eating them they're getting (laughs) they're getting a little tired now yeah but geez it's almost you know it's already august i mean yeah that's pretty impressive it's very impressive yeah so we're you know there's other food shows on kebu that probably talk about preserving more than 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 us but you know freezing is a a great way i mean you can freeze green beans we talked about you know you can blanch them and just a quick blanch to prevent uh, or inhibit ripening and then freeze them. You can do that with cherry tomatoes or full tomatoes uh, for that matter. But yep. it's a time issue. So, 
Yeah, yeah. Well, the, what I do with the I get when I get these blueberries, I get you know two hundred and some pounds of blueberries, and I I I fill plastic bags with them, uh, seal the Ziploc plastic bags, and uh, and I put them in the freezer, and and that's all I do. Yeah, yeah. That's what, exactly what we did there too. Yeah, we my uh, I, I've mentioned many times that I rent ten colonies hives of bees for blueberry pollination and then they have a they call it a friends friends and family day before they open up to the regular public and mm-hmm. for you picks and so they have several hundred friends and family <laughs> members out there but wow. nevertheless it's a pretty pristine field and you say well just go out and cream it mm-hmm. you know pick the ripe ones and yeah wasn't anything i think my wife and i got uh Forty pounds in about an hour, so yeah, pretty good, pretty good picking. Yeah, that's great. Okay, who do you say we have, Ty? Lee. Good morning, Lee. Yeah, uh, on uh, preserving uh, food, uh, there's a great book uh, by Chelsea Green uh, Publishers, um, uh, and it's preserving food without freezing or canning. Uh, subtitle, Traditional Techniques Using Salt, Oil, Sugar, Alcohol, Vinegar, Drying, Cold Storage, and Lactic Fermentation. And um, you guys got to think more about alcohol. (laughs) (laughs) I guess so. Yeah, I mean, that sounds like a great book. What's the title of it again? Preserving Food... Without freezing or canning, published by Chelsea Green. Okay, I'll write that down, and maybe I'll see if I can get that onto the uh, uh, website, the KBU website. It's techniques from um, the gardeners and farmers of a particular area of uh, of France. So there's a lot of traditional recipes. Uh Uh-huh. That sounds good. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I mean, basically, if you if uh, before you plant something, you better know what you're going to do with <laughs> Good it point. after it's, it grows. Yeah, yeah. I know. that's another problem with a standard size fruit tree. There's just so much of it that what am I going to do? Cider. Yeah, that's uh, a, that's a good point. Cider from you know then what I did last year, we made quite a lot of it, and I froze a bunch of it. So. Jim must have a big freezer. I do. Yeah. Because <laughs> most home freezers aren't going to have enough for 200 pounds of blueberries plus gallons of It doesn't cider. take up that much room. I mean, a, a, ch- a, a chest freezer, normal-sized chest freezer, gives plenty of room for that. Well, but yeah. what about other things that are in there? Well, you've got a few gallons of apple cider and then some green beans and... <laughs> No, no, no. If you're freezing, if you're freezing apple juice, that's not cider. Cider is is alcohol. Yeah, I, you know that 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 definition is uh, it's been in my mind. I, I use the word liberally. You know, cider. I, I use it also for for non-alcoholic. But I understand what you're saying. It's just kind of a nicer word than juice. I think for the uh, for marketing purposes, they distinguish between cider and hard cider. Yeah. But traditionally, Johnny Appleseed was planting apples for hard cider. Correct. Not. Uh, <laughs> years, years ago, I lived on a farm up in Canada, and we harvested the apples and made 
uh, juice, and and then the juice became hard after uh-huh. several months. Uh-huh. <laughs> Which, it, it doesn't take several months. It it you know starts uh, bubbling uh, pretty quickly at at uh, ambient temperatures, and basically I've got. Uh, I've got about 20 uh, apple trees, and some of uh, the varieties that I have, um, well, they're all heirloom, but some of them are very specific to making cider. Uh-huh. Yeah, cool. Yep, yep. Great. Yep. Okay. Well, that's Thank good. Yep. Thanks, Lee. Thanks Appreciate it. All right. Well, we better get to the garden stumper before okay. we uh, run out of time here. Ty, were you ready for the garden stumper? Ty's right on this thing here. Jim will be thinking about what it is. Me crazy. Oh, well, let's, that's not our I'm garden stumper, love. but... <laughs> <laughs> that's interesting, huh? Well, see, see if he's going to get it out of there. That's number one on our, my list there, I think. Or no, it's not. Maybe I don't have the garden stumper theme on my... No, I guess I took off the garden stumper. Never mind, my bad. Okay. I need. So. We need to put that on the... Uh, same place where we have the theme song. That's where I need to record that, so it's always there, here. Right, okay. okay. Here's the Garden Stumper. Okay. And uh, so we did have the answer to last month's, so. Yes. So uh, we talked about figs, and this this question concerns Desert King fig, because we've talked a lot about how great it is and all that. So most fig varieties uh, will bear two crops. I mean, they all are designed to do that basically by nature. So there's a crop that comes on the the previous season's growth, and then a second crop comes on the new growth. And uh, Desert King does a great job with that first crop, but it there, but there's a special it, it does not ripen in our climate the second crop, and it's not because of lack of heat. There's a special reason that that second crop does not ripen. And I want to know what that special reason is. All right. That's a good one. So if you know the answer to that, 503-231-8187. And the first correct answer will get a free garden tool sharpened at Coley Farm Store. And a, and a clue to that. I'll add a clue. So the, the t- Desert King is a special type of fig called, called San Pedro. So if a, if, a, if a listener is really dedicated and wants to look up a San Pedro-type fig, I think you can find uh-huh. out they what that special reduce reason is. What the, uh-huh. Okay, 503-231-8187. That's also the number to call if you have a gardening question in addition to the answer. Well, I do want to hear and taste this new variety of peach that's yeah. sitting here on the table, and it looks more like a apricot. And just because of the size, but yeah. it's also fuzzless. Well, feel it, Glenn. Which one? This one here? That's as bald as a cue ball. <laughs> so I'll, ta- I'll, t- I'll give you a little backstory because this, this is an example of what, uh, what we're doing at the nursery. Uh, we're, we've over the years have selected uh, peaches, like I said earlier, that are resistant to peach leaf curl, which is the worst disease for peach. I mean, bacterial canker is a problem too, but not so much for peach as it is for apricot. And um, and we can so we're looking for both. We we look for ones, of course, if there's a if a, if a peach is really susceptible to bacterial canker, that's not going to be so great either. So, but. 
peach leaf curl is really important. Uh, and uh, because if a peach is susceptible or gets that, you'll, you probably won't get a crop and the tree can die eventually from it. So, so we're doing a lot of selection work and, and, and the process we use for that is to plant seeds from various sources. And, and, uh, and when you mean seeds, you just mean the peach, the peach pit. pit. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yep. Um, and we actually crack the pit and take the seed inside out oh, of okay. it. But, um, but that's it. But, and it's fascinating. I, I mean, I have to say that one of the most interesting parts of life right now for us are, it's like these, we could call them like little Christmas presents, you know, like you go down a row and you mm. try, try mm. that one and try that one. And with peaches, that's generally pretty much fun. I've had some fruits that when that wasn't fun because <laughs> none of them tasted good. Uh-huh. <laughs> but generally with peaches, they all taste good, but some are better than others. When you bite into one, do you spit it out or do you swallow some? Well, you, I I always eat a little bit because it's just because yeah, I'm usually hungry, yeah, right. <laughs> hungry when I'm yeah. walking down the road. But uh, anyway, so so uh, in this process of doing this, we've uh, of getting these different seeds. One this this particular one that I brought with me. Um, was kind of very interesting to me because, well, we haven't yet evaluated it for its disease resistance, and so I'm I'm not going to promote it yet uh, until we do that. It's just so unique because of the smooth skin, and and it's and, and it's very flavorful, and and so we did the, the original source of these seeds was a long long time ago. People brought uh, plant research and so forth brought seeds from Central Asia. And this particular source uh, was uh, Uzbekistan. Well, what, what did you do with the seeds in the meantime, if you said it was many, many years ago? Well, p- other people had them. They grew them. They messed around with them. They, they never really paid a lot of attention to them, and, and which was sort of interesting. I mean, the seeds were, the pits were just sitting out someplace? No, for no. Years, they, or they, they grew them out? They grew them out. I yeah. see. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, and and that's interesting because what we have discovered in our work is that, you know, we are both plant researchers and promoters, and a lot of people who do research are not promoters. Yeah. So when we see something that has unique value, we, you know, that, that's a special to us. It may not be to somebody else. So um, so there's an inter- there's apparently a kind of a legend about this peach with the golden peach of Samarkand and and there's even some things written about it apparently in the 7th century there was gifts taken of this type of peach were taken to China and impressed the Chinese emperor and anyway pretty fascinating stuff and hmm. and uh, and when we this is the first year that we actually had a crop I I was like wow this is pretty cool and how many trees of this do you have? Oh, a couple dozen. Of all the sa- exactly the same? No. All, okay, all, all from a peach. Yep. I mean, all from a pit. Yeah. So yep. if you find one that you will like, then you'll do, you'll bud graft that or, yep. or something yep. like that, which and is also th- something that uh, you're doing now on the farm. Yes, yeah. And this is this is budding season. And, and but what we, yeah, once, when, you know, we still have to go through the evaluation and, and we may have some challenges with that, but we're hoping that, you know, the, especially if we get some open pollinated seed that might have been pollinated by some of our disease-resistant uh-huh. varieties, you know, that'll be another step. <laughs> There's no end. There's it. no end, you know. I mean, you know, f- you know I've got s- so a few years left. Yeah. <laughs> See how far I can go and hopefully— How, how long—yeah, uh, hopefully you'll be able to taste them. Yeah. How, how long does it take from pit to pit, so to speak? Pit to pit. Usually three years. Okay. Yeah, yeah you've got that in you. 
yeah, three to four years. Uh, so yeah, and then so yeah, on the farm right now, I mean, we're busy, uh, very very busy. Uh, but this evaluation work is kind of separate from the the plant production work, which is ongoing. And uh, this is August is budding month, so when you do budding, you um, it, it's kind of some people call it bud grafting. But it's it's the typical way of growing a large quantity of of fruit trees. It's much it's faster and and in some ways more efficient because you only use a bud. You don't use a whole stick like you do with regular yeah. grafting. You have a lot more uh, material. To, yeah, to, and, it, and it goes to make pretty, trees. And it goes pretty fast. So when you're doing thousands of trees, it's it's the way it's done these days. So that, that's really what we're doing right now and we are of course propagating peaches and nectarines and uh, almonds and uh, some cherries and plums and that kind of thing yeah huh well that sounds fun i mean this as long as it has to be done yeah yeah that's uh and uh and then and then some of the work that i'm i'm i have some special projects that i work on uh we have a big apricot trial that was uh, uh, mostly unsuccessful. So uh, I have an electric chainsaw. And, and when I have the cool mornings, yeah. my plan, uh, I mean, I'm out, you know, removing dead trees, which is, you know, just what you have to do. Right. And, uh, and then also uh, we're, we have a lot of fig, we have a lot of fig varieties that uh, have need to be repotted. So I'm the I'm the I'm the main repotter. Uh, I oh. take a fig tree that's growing in a gallon-sized pot that's somewhat root-bound, and you know you you could make an interesting video of this where you some are very root-bound, and you take this this plant out of this pot, and it's like a solid rock, huh. and then I beat on it, <laughs> and I massage it, and I beat on it, and I massage it, and I and I eventually loosen up those roots, so then I can pull them out from this mass and, and, and free them. It's like the, the, the RLF, the Root Liberation Front. Is <laughs> hard at work. <laughs> do you, what size pot do you put it into, or do you put it into the ground? Five-gallon five five pot is what I'm doing then. now. Okay. Yeah. So that's my... I'm staying in good shape doing this. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's one benefit of, of gardening and farming. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's take our uh, second musical break here. We'll continue on. Uh, we didn't get to these honey tunes from last month, but since I'm still in the honey process, we'll, we'll listen to the Beatles' Honey Pie, but this time by John Pizzarelli. Honey pie, you are making me crazy. I'm in love, but I'm lazy. So won't you please come home? Honey pie, my position is tragic. Come and show me the magic of your Hollywood song. You became a legend of the silver screen, and now the Be where you belong 
Honey Pie. Those Beatles wrote, you know, in some cases, just uh, different from a different era. I mean, they wrote it currently, but that's, you know, Honey Pie could be, you know, from 30s, something like that. So anyway, but John Pizzarelli. Mm -hmm. Okay, Wade is back on the phone. Oh, cool. Yeah, real quick. Okay. Because you talked about root-bound plants, and over these 40 years I've been doing this, I, I bought them this way, too. They, they come out. Yeah. Um, but I would, what I do, and I'm not criticizing your method, it probably works. I'm thinking I've always taken my pruning shears and just take the, the, the edge and score it down the sides about six, eight times around the side and then the bottom, and then I take my hands, fingers, and, and pull pull from the center out all you know all the way around the edges yeah and maybe then i did tap it you know or something but um the other thing i was just thinking because uh, again not to criticize you use freezing a lot but the gentleman that called earlier talking about these earlier methods they were developed because what we didn't have freezers right. and also just to tie in with the climate thing um these other methods we need, just like organic farming, it's not like some new thing, okay? That's what we always did before 100 and some years ago. Right. All right. Okay. Yep, that's that's good. Good point, Wade. Yeah, thank you. Okay, well, let's, uh, before we uh, end up with the uh, talk of the State Fair, <clears throat> uh, let's see our dirtbag dictionary term, biennial. And we, uh, we talked last month about perennial, which is, Actually, the definition that I heard when I was doing my master gardener training, that that's any plant that had it lived would bloom year after year. <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, that's the idea. Most fruit trees are considered perennials. And, Absolutely. Yeah. But there are certain plants that are biennial. That is to say they grow one year and then produce uh, their seeds the next year or their fruit the next year. And we might say that, you know, in some outlandish stretch, you know, that figs, uh, they grow their fruit on the second year or the what grew last year. So it's, it's similar to, say, for example, uh, what are considered biennial plants. Uh, oftentimes, uh, beets. Or something like that will will produce for three or four seasons, and then they will bolt the second year. Bolt meaning going to seed, and so you for beets, for example, you can, if they keep them in the ground, mm -hmm. you can harvest them. And the variety that I like for beets in particular is Red Ace because no matter what size and how old it is, it is still sweet and flavorful, but it won't bolt or form seeds until the second year. So that's that's kind of the definition of a biennial plant. Now, let's not confuse that with some fruit trees, such as gravensteins, which are kind of biennial bearers. That is to say they have a real strong year, whew, like this year, at least my gravenstein, and then next year it won't produce as much. Actually, next year this my tree may not produce any mm -hmm. because I'm thinking of taking it out. It's just, it's just too big. I mentioned that it lost... Uh, uh, four pretty good-sized limbs due to the apple weight. And uh, I, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that I'll be picking up or using in excess of 5,000 apples. Wow. It's just, 
It's just, it's a standard size tree, you know, yeah. forty by forty, or at yeah. least it used to be. Yeah. And I've been keeping it smaller than that. Yeah, they, they get big. Gravenstein, you know, but they, and the interesting thing is that most of Gravensteins, at least older and older ones, were grown on seedling rootstock. Yeah. So they just they just went to town. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and this one is. I mean, it's 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 big. I mean, the the trunk is. Oh, I mean, it's got quite a few limbs coming out from it, but the limbs that are coming out from it are a foot and a half in diameter, and so the base is probably two, three feet. Wow. It's just uh, too big, and it's yeah. dangerous. Yeah. Fortunately, I haven't had any, the limbs haven't fallen on wires or done any damage on the garage or the house, but nevertheless. Okay, well, uh, finally, we'll... Uh, uh, just finish up a little bit more with the Oregon State Fair and Jim's booth there, and then the documentary. Sure, you can give us an uh, 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 update, status update on. Uh, yeah, so where I you think are with that. the last the last show I taught. I'll first mention a bit about the documentary. We, we mentioned the, uh, that it's getting close to being done, and there's a website. It's just right now a landing page, where uh, but if you sign, like to sign up, any listener would like to sign up, uh, go to that website and and and, and uh, sign up. We can send you updates on when the actual showings are going to be, uh, where they're going to be we're hoping to do showings around the state eventually have you lined up any um well um we're in the process of doing okay. that okay yeah. yeah not not yet but not it's getting close the beans here but yeah, we got the first scoop here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're, we're getting there, uh, and so that that uh, that the ad that site is uh, www.anoregonstory all one word, a n o r e g o n s t r y, dot com, and you can sign up and and then we'd love to send you info as that as the documentary gets closer. It's a pretty exciting project, and I the the way we do it. My my friend and videographer Joe Wilson sends me, he's he's doing the editing right now. He sends me parts of it. I review it. I look at it, uh, give him feedback on it. It's emotional for me to look at this because, for one thing, three of the people uh, who we who we interviewed, we interviewed probably close to sixty people. Three of them have passed away since we started the project. Mm -hmm. And and uh, just seeing them talking and sharing their their thoughts and and these are not just I mean these the people the you know we we're really blessed in this state to have such dedicated and folks who who really just were so believed in it to to work so hard to create this Oregon that we all enjoy and. Here I here I am in my nursery, forty minutes south of Portland, and I'm not surrounded by subdivisions. I'm surrounded by blueberries and hazelnuts and vegetable fields. Um, I, I'm I just like owe so much to them for doing that, and and the people that are continuing to do it too, that are defending it because the, there's a constant effort to erode the protections that we have. And when we sit here, Glenn and you and I talk about all this fruit and all the great things we can eat here. That doesn't ha that's just not you know by accident i mean yeah that's, you know and you have to work to preserve keep that, our, that. yeah i mean our agricultural economy is the second largest economic sector in oregon it's only to high tech and and it hire we employ all sorts of people and uh, you know it brings a lot of money into the state so anyway that that's the 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 basic theme of the documentary is talking about the history of of this, how we got to this point, and then the future, and uh, what people are doing, and the present, what we're doing now, the farming we're doing now. 
so my so I got inspired a long time ago to try to share information about Oregon with people. Uh, one of the uh, funny experiences was sitting in a hot tub in Brightonbush Hot Springs. And as you know, at Brighton Bush, you sit in a hot tub with no clothes on. And it was a cool morning. And I thought, and there was four other people in the hot tub with me and my partner. And I thought, maybe it's a good captive audience. So I'll talk to them about Oregon a little bit. <laughs> and they were all from a different state. They all lived in Portland. And one, one man asked me, he said, well, uh, I, I asked them if they'd ever been to Oswald West State Park. And the man said, well, yes. And I wondered where Oswald East was. <laughs> that got me thinking, okay. So I made up this little flyer that I've given, shown you I got in my pocket, you know, talking about a little bit about the Oregon history. And that's, you know, basically what we're doing at the state fair is we have a booth in the, in the agricultural section in the floral building, the foyer of it. Uh, and we're going to be just talking to folks. The headline of the booth is Oregon, the sprawl free state. Ah. Or is it just, are you going to have help doing this? Or you, oh, yeah. 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 Okay. S- signing up people. Is, uh, <laughs> anybody out, any listener. If who, you go to anoregonstory.com, you could probably let Jim know, hey, I'll, I'd, I'd put in an hour or two. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, a, it's, a, it's 11 days. The state fair yeah. is not a small task. You know? Yeah. And uh, anyway, so that'll be what we'll be doing there and just talking with people about that. We have a really beautiful display. We'll have information from different organizations around the state. Um, and uh, and maybe even some fruit to give away if we can get some. All right. So, well, Jim, we're out of time. Uh, come by, and say hi to Jim at this booth. I'm sure he'll be there some of the time. Some of the time for yeah, sure. Not all eleven days there. So the first day, uh, Friday, August twenty fifth. Uh, I will be there all day from ten a.m. till at least eight p.m. Aha. Uh-huh. All right. Well. We'll have an update on that next month, but it'll be after the state fair, so you can let us know how it's going. Yeah. All right. That's it. This is Glenn Andreessen. Thank you, Jim. Thank you, Ty, our very wonderful board operator who volunteers to come in and help us out. Thank you, Glenn. We will be back in a month. Thanks for listening. Listening to KBOO Portland's 90.7 FM. The time is 12 noon. You're listening.